Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. Thanks, Nicole. And, and I echo your comments that we have deep gratitude to those who are the monthly subscribers on Patreon. And we couldn't do the show without the patron supporters. And for those of you who might hear the first minutes of this show as a preview for non-patrons, think about becoming a patron. We actually need everyone to do their part. I want to start with a question, Nicole. Ralph asks the question, can you read it? It just came in, but I want to use that as a starting point. Yeah. So Ralph wrote in and said, the recent tanks to Ukraine are extremely disturbing. And the prediction that Zelensky would instantly ask for more is immediately coming true. The nuclear war clock is now as close as it's ever been. Street protests are simply not taken seriously by our corrupt government. What more can we do immediately? Are there any non-U.S. allies in Europe or Africa, et cetera, that have misgivings about this war that we could work with directly to oppose it? Right. So I want to use Ralph's question, which I think is so pertinent. And I think a lot of people share the same frustrations that Ralph is sharing. How do you change the government policy? When you think about what happened in Vietnam, where the majority of the people in the United States, by certainly by 1969 or 1970, opposed the war in Vietnam, but the war dragged on for another three years in terms of U.S. troops being in Vietnam, being in Southeast Asia. The troops only came out in 1973, and then in 1975, the National Liberation Front and the armies and military forces of North Vietnam liberated the rest of the country and unified Vietnam at long last. All of that could have been prevented by the U.S. upholding its commitment at the Geneva Conference on Vietnam in 1954 after the French defeat at Dien Bien Phu by the National Liberation Forces in Vietnam, led by Ho Chi Minh. At that time, the U.S. pledged to have democratic elections in 1956 which would reunify the country and have an elected, democratically elected national government. But it was the calculation by the U.S. government, by the Eisenhower administration and the CIA and the State Department, that if there was a democratic election in Vietnam in 1956, the winner of that election would have been Ho Chi Minh. And he was, of course, also the leader of the Communist Party. So the U.S. canceled the elections, uh, fortified its puppet regime in South Vietnam. And ultimately, that led to a renewal of conflict between North and South Vietnam and then the U.S. entrance into the war. And that U.S. intervention took the lives of 2 million Vietnamese, more or less. 58,000 Americans died. By 1970, most Americans thought, look, this war is a mistake at best or an imperialist act of aggression which is what a minority thought. Certainly those of us who were in the anti-war movement thought that. But whether you thought it was a mistake or an expression or a reflection of U.S. imperialism as a system, the majority wanted the war to end, but it dragged on for another three years in spite of the fact that there were mass protests. I mean, there were the biggest protests ever up until that point in U.S. history, but the war dragged on. And finally, the U.S. had to acknowledge its defeat and leave. 
But between 1970 and 1973, probably another million people died, most of them Vietnamese people, and the U.S. continued to defoliate Vietnam with Agent Orange. So there's always a frustration by people in our movement that the protests themselves don't seem to stop the war. I mean, by the way, if the railroad workers had gone on strike because they opposed the Vietnam War, in other words, a political strike, not an economic strike, but a political strike, the strategic power of the railroad workers in the United States is so vast that a three-week strike would basically completely paralyze and bring to a screeching halt the capitalist economy, which is precisely why the capitalist government goes to such great lengths to make sure that railroad union workers never get to strike. And that's why this legislation exists. So the protests are an expression of popular will, but they weren't strong enough to end the war. One way it actually did end or helped end the war was One, the U.S. could not escalate the war, which was the only military means by which they could have possibly sort of defeated or held the Vietnamese at bay, maybe use nuclear weapons. The Nixon administration couldn't do that because of popular sentiment. And also the anti-war sentiment became very strong among the U.S. soldiers, among the U.S. Marines, among the U.S. sailors. And so U.S. troops became a major front of anti-war opposition and made it almost impossible to conduct the war. There were so many GI rebellions and acts of resistance that in that way, the anti-war movement had a very, very significant impact. But Ralph's point is kind of right in the sense that we organize protests to build public consciousness, but the protests themselves actually don't stop or prevent the wars or end the wars until they really create like sort of a revolutionary uprising. And of course, a revolutionary uprising is what ended World War I. That's when the Russian Revolution happened. And there was also a revolution in Germany. So that revolution was an outgrowth of the anti-war agitation that had gone on in the three years or four years in Germany and in Russia against the war. So until there's really an anti-war revolution, the wars continue to grind on. But I want to also, in addition to noting frustration, which is understandable, I want to make the point that the Ukraine war is escalating very dramatically, as Ralph points out. The U.S. is sending the Abrams tanks as sort of a a parallel agreement with Germany for the U.S. twisted the arm of the German ruling class and the ruling government in Germany to send the Leopard 2 tanks, the German tanks, to Ukraine. Poland is sending 60 tanks, including some of the German tanks, to Ukraine. This is a sort of a direct involvement now by the United States and other NATO powers, including Germany, into the war itself. And the reason the German government was hesitating was the last time German tanks entered Ukraine was precisely in June 1941, when the Nazi, the German-led Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union took place, and, you know, all of German society at the end of World War II and thereafter told itself, we're never going to do that again. We're never going to allow fascism to come again. 
And the idea that Germany could be at war with Russia again more directly is a big political problem in Germany, where there's consciousness about this and opposition. But here again, the U.S., NATO, twisted the arm of the German capitalist ruling class establishment, and as they always do, they relented, just like they did with the Iran nuclear arms deal, which they supported, and they wanted to do business with Iran. But when Trump twisted their arm, they capitulated. And even after Trump left, Biden hasn't gone back to the deal itself. Anyway, I've been talking about, and Nicole, Walter, Esther, our conversations with Eugene per year over the last almost year, it is a year now, we've been talking about the logic of the war will lead to escalation. And NATO and the U.S. think they can win. Russia is determined not to lose. So the logic there is if one side is determined to win and the other side is determined not to lose, and both sides are strong enough that neither one will be immediately exhausted, the options become limited to expansion, to escalation. And indeed, we are entering the most dangerous stage yet of the war. And in the United States, if any sector of the U.S. establishment says, look, Let's stop this madness. Let's go back to the negotiating table. We don't need to risk World War III and nuclear war over the question of whether Ukraine is in or not in NATO. I mean, it's not the end of the world for our system if Ukraine is a neutral country, but it could be the end of the world for our system and for the world writ large if there is a global conflict between the United States and NATO powers and Russia. But nobody says that, because if you say that right now, you're going to be, when I say nobody, I don't mean us, I mean within the establishment, the voices are completely muted. All the liberals, the squad, Bernie, none of them are really in any way taking the bull by the horns and explaining what's going on, even though I think they know very well what's going on because they're afraid. They're afraid of the backlash. So the sector of the political establishment that's not afraid of the backlash are the extreme right-wingers who are racist, who are misogynist, who are the enemies of the working class, who want to destroy Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. That's the real agenda. But they're demagogically posturing against the Ukraine war. And some Leftists are are silly enough, foolish enough, short-sighted enough not to see that following or partnering with these ultra-rightists is basically not just dangerous, but a, a huge political mistake of the first magnitude and one that can do a lot of damage in terms of political consciousness inside the United States. But as small as they are, it's only these the Freedom Caucus and Rand Paul, this element of the Republican Party who are taking a position of opposition to escalation. So, you know, there it is. The U.S. is on the path, along with NATO, to escalate. If you say within the establishment, if you talk against escalation, you're going to be branded as being weak on Russia. And nobody apparently has the guts from the left of center forces to do that. I want to just say real quick before we go to other questions, Nicole, if you look at what stage of world politics we're in, 
We have entered, as we've been saying, a new era of global politics with the advent of or the start of the Russian invasion into Ukraine on February 24, 2022. What does that mean? That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 